Good day, everyone. Welcome to Saturated in Scripture. Greetings, everyone. You are tuning into Saturated in Scripture, a weekly devotional program designed to help you taste and see the sweetness of the gospel in Scripture. This podcast is a ministry of Grace Point Presbyterian Church in Sydney. My name is Elliot. I'm your host for the program. Every week we gather across our city and our world to pause in order to hear what God has to say to us through His Word and Spirit. For this year, we are as a church working our way through the book of the Psalms. And all this is aimed to help us to dive deep into God's Word so that we may know and understand and love God and so that we may know how to live in response to God's grace to us. There's a reminder that our readings for this week is Psalms 32 to 33, and our psalm in focus this episode is Psalm 33. Now, before I read our passage for this week, I'd love to remind you that we are taking two weeks off from this podcast, and this break is going to give the production team an opportunity to rest, but also to prepare for the new season in the new quarter. Uh, we want to encourage you to keep reading, and there's a reading guide available on our website www.gracepoint.org.au forward slash podcast. You should be following the readings for weeks 12 to 13. And by the time we come back together, you would have finished reading Psalms 34 to 37. We'll return in week 14 and we will look at Psalms 38 to 41 then, right? So no podcast episodes for the next two weeks, but keep reading and following along so that we can finish the entire book of the Psalms this year. If you're able to, let me invite you to keep your Bibles open. We'll be reading from Psalm 33. Hear God's word. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the whole world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From the heavens the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. 
This is the word of the Lord. One of the things I frequently say when I lead our worship services is that singing has always been characteristic of Christian worship. When we think of musical worship, we can easily think of some big-name bands we know, and in recent times, some Christians have expressed concerns and reservations about musical worship. Some people describe it as too emotional, too subjective, and sometimes too manipulative. Some will argue that we should get rid of singing altogether, get rid of music altogether, and just focus on reading the Bible and preaching God's word. They'll say, let's get rid of all the emotionalism that is found in music, and let's focus on the clarity and the logic of the word. Now, it's helpful to recognize that this corrective is helpful, because it's true that some gatherings that claim to be churches have misused and abused the power of worship to promote false teaching, to steal from the vulnerable, to stain the name of Christ. And yet we need to be sure that we are not building our understanding or our theology of music and worship based on what's going wrong in contemporary Christianity. Instead, we need to be constructing our understanding of music and worship from God's word. And because you see, as mentioned before, musical worship and singing has always been characteristic of Christian worship all the way from the early church. Uh, The Didache, a document recording early church practice, notes that singing of the Psalms were part and parcel of Christian worship, and this was also prevalent during the Reformation. John Calvin, the great reformer, believed that congregational singing was so important that he even hired a music teacher and composer to teach his church how to sing and sometimes even how to sing in four-part harmony so that they could integrate this into their worship. Uh, But of course, all of this is actually traced to scripture. And it's here in Psalm 33. Listen to how it begins. It says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on a ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. I'd love for you to notice something with me. The words sing and praise are verbs in the imperative. This means that they are not invitations. They are instructions. They are not requests. They are commands. In other words, the call to sing and to make music to praise our God is not an optional add-on to the Christian life. It is part and parcel of our whole of life worship. It doesn't say, all ye who are musically talented sing and praise the Lord. It just begins by saying, sing. Now, it's helpful to recognize that this command is not baseless. In other words, the psalmist tells us why we ought to sing. As you read verses 4 to 22, what you notice is that God's faithfulness and God's love are the twin reasons to praise God. God's faithfulness and God's love, it's actually summarized in verses 4 to 5, right? For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And so really, the rest of the psalm just expands on this theme, right? For example, it speaks of God's work of creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. Verse 6, God speaks and the universe becomes a reality. It speaks of God's work of sustaining all of creation. Verse 7, God is actively involved in running the world. 
It speaks of God's sovereignty over the world. Even the plans of the wicked doers are part of his control. Every single person on the heaven and earth are accountable to him. It speaks of God's provision over his people, verses 12 to 15. It speaks of the folly of self-deception, verses 16 to 17. It speaks of wisdom in entrusting ourselves to God, verses 19 to 22. God is faithful, don't you see? He will do what he says he will do. And God is loving. He will do what is right for those who are his. And of course, the twin gifts of faithfulness and love finds its climax in Christ, who fulfills God's promise of redemption and restoration. That all who are weak and weary, lost and wandering, sinful and rebellious can be forgiven and made right with God where restlessness comes to an end. God is faithful to His promises. God is loving and always doing what is right for those who are His. You see, that's why the call to sing and praise our great God is not just something for Israel of the Old Testament. It is also for the new Israel of the New Testament, you and I, followers of Jesus Christ. So what are some implications arising out of this? Well, firstly, I think we need to seriously reconsider our attitude towards singing and praising, especially in gathered worship on Sunday. You see, it's not uncommon for us to see musical worship as a bit of a warm-up act to the main event of Sunday worship, which we sometimes believe to be the sermon. Uh, We sometimes think, oh, we're just warming up our vocal cords. We are waiting for the latecomers to arrive. We are giving the music team a chance to showcase what they've practiced. I wouldn't hesitate to say that we have a fairly deficient view of musical worship. Friends, Psalm 33 corrects us, doesn't it? It tells us that the God who is God has done something for us. And this leads us naturally to praise and worship. Our hearts cannot help but leap with praise. Indeed, how we sing ought to be directly proportionate to how well we know the faithfulness and love of God. And so, dear church, let me encourage you today to sing. To arrive not 15 minutes into the service when we finish all the singing and we're doing confession of sin, no, but to arrive 15 minutes earlier before the service starts to find our seats, to greet one another, to prepare for the call to worship and to engage with God and each other in song and sing. Sing loudly as an expression of our gratitude and worship to God and also as an encouragement to brothers and sisters around us. Dear church, sing. But a second implication is this. Church, we need to be careful about what we sing. What we sing. And by that, I mean our content. You see, the psalmist makes it clear that there is a reason for our singing. There is God's faithfulness and God's love. And so we need to be careful that the songs we choose are in congruence with the reasons that Psalm 33 lists. Here's a question. Are our songs focused on us? Or are they focused on God? Now, of course, there is space to sing about the impact of the gospel upon our lives, right? There is a space to reflect. But I also think there are risks that our musical worship becomes all about us. Music leaders, here's a word to you. Now, be aware of what we choose to sing so that we are glorifying God rather than glorifying ourselves. What are we singing? We need to be careful about that. Third implication. Church, as we sing, 
Let's do this well. Let me firstly apply it to our musical team, our band who works so well to lead us in worship. Bands, as you lead, please do it well. And verse 3 says it, right? Play skillfully. This literally means play in such a way that is pleasing. Now, there are at least three reasons for this, isn't there? Now, reason number one, music is meant to be pleasurable. And that's why it's so powerful and memorable, isn't it? It's meant to stir our emotions and to move us. But music that is not played well is not pleasurable. Therefore, to practice and to play well is actually at a very fundamental level to steward the gift of music. Second reason, music that is played well is undistracting in worship. I'm sure you've been in gatherings where the drummer is slightly offbeat, the guitarist doesn't hold the right chord, or the piano player accidentally slips and plays the wrong note. Now, obviously, granted, mistakes do happen, and we need to remember that the Lord looks at the heart. It doesn't mean that all of us need degrees in music before we can lead in congregational music. That's not true, right? But you and I do know that music that is unpracticed and unpolished distracts. So sing and play well as best as we can. And the, our bands know this. They work so hard to make it possible for us. And so church, here's an application to us. If our bands lead and play well, perhaps we need to work hard to sing well. Now, there are a number of ways to do this. As I mentioned before, it's actually to participate in singing, to lift up our voices. But you know what? Just as bands can practice, you and I can practice as well. Uh, we can you know, hear a new song and we can jump on Spotify or YouTube and just to listen to the songs that we're singing and learn it during the week. And maybe that makes it easier to sing along. Maybe you can read music and you may not be on the band, but you may be able to sing along in harmonies and to join us together in making beautiful music to worship our God and to encourage one another. At church, let us sing well, let's do this well. But there's a third reason for why we do this well, right? The third reason is this, God deserves our very best. No surprises there. He doesn't deserve our scraps. He deserves, you know, in the Gospels, expensive perfume poured out on him, which looks like a waste, but it's not because he is worth it. So friends, let's sing. Now, let's be aware of what we sing. But as we sing and praise, let's do this as best as we can, using all the gifts and talents that God has given to us to glorify him. But one thing I do want to say, though, I recognize that singing can also be a bit of a sensitive topic uh, because sometimes people feel um, inadequate, uh, unskilled. It's very important to recognize that while we do speak about playing and singing well, the Lord looks at the heart. And so you may not be musically talented, you may not be able to sing in tune or in time. The encouragement still remains. Sing and praise, not because you're incredible, but because God is. We sing in response to all that he has done for us. We worship as an expression of our gratitude. So before we pray, here is a point to ponder. Now, church, what stops you from engaging in congregational singing and worship? What stops you? I recognize there could be a lot of reasons, right? It could be fear. You don't know how you sound and you're a bit scared of it. Fair enough. It could be shame. You know, you don't want to be that guy or that girl who was too enthusiastic, too keen. It could be pride. You might think that you are better than something as childish as singing. You know, I'm, I'm greater than that. This is just for kids. It could be unawareness, right? Maybe you just don't know why Christians sing and it seems a bit weird to you, but maybe you know now. Let me ask you, what stops you if you struggle with that? 
My hope and prayer is that today's episode has encouraged and challenged you ever more so slightly. And my hope and prayer is that across our campuses, the volume and the voices of our songs would rise in response to all that God has done for us. Church, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your faithfulness and love in Jesus Christ. We ask, dear Lord, that you will continue to move us to be a people who are joyful in the Lord and therefore sing and praise you with all that we have. Gracious God, correct our false views and move us towards right and biblical worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining us for another week here at Saturated in Scripture. I hope and pray you've been able to taste the sweetness of Scripture with us today. Don't forget that we are taking a two-week break from the podcast. Please do continue to read along. We'll be restarting in April. So until then, delight in the law of the Lord.